your 2023 NBA G League champs, the Delaware Blue Coats. And we are live right now on the line. This is the Blue Coats beat, as always, the interview series with Tony Cotillo and Joe Richmond, powered by Heat Ratio Sports. And we're live with the mayor of basketball right now. It is my honor and Coach Joe's honor to welcome Mr. Sonny Hill to the program. Sonny, how are you doing today? Wonderful. It's real nice to be with both of you. If people do not know the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame legend, the mayor of basketball, Sonny Hill, founder of the Sonny Hill Lake in Philadelphia, and you can still listen to Sonny Hill every single Sunday, 7 a.m. on 94 WIP. And the reason why we wanted to have Sonny on here specifically, not just for his expertise and his experience, but we wanted to remember the passing of the Indiana Pacers legend, George McGinnis. And, and Sonny, just as a, a, a conversation here, when, when we just say George McGinnis, we know the, the litany of accolades that he has. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? A wonderful human being who we identify with because of his greatness in terms of basketball, but a far better person along with his wife, Linda, who's no longer here, she passed away four years prior to him passing away. Just a really good person and um, had the kind of feeling around him that if you didn't really know him, you could still interact with him. I guess the other thing that I would say is you say George McGinnis in the state of Indiana, which may be the number one state in terms of its love for basketball and the many great basketball players that have come out the state. Uh, the historians there would say to you, George McGinnis would be on the same level as Coach John Wooden, who's from Indiana, who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, both as a coach and a player. If you say the big O, we're talking about Oscar Robertson from Indiana. And then after George, you would say uh, uh, Larry Bird. But George McGinnis is right there in terms of the historians who know the state of basketball in Indiana, that's how great he was and how revered he was in Indiana. Mr. Sonny, it is once again my honor, and I've, and I've been blessed to be around you all the time on many occasions, and all the accolades and the words that Mr. Tony Cotillo just said about you, it, it, it goes beyond that because for me, basketball for me i'm just talking from joe richmond basketball started and started with started with you for me growing up in the city of philadelphia it was it was being in mr sunny hill league or the baker league it's like you arrived you made it and your knowledge of basketball is beyond what anybody could put in the book and i'm i'm just so thankful that we got you as a guest today and i as as one of the co-host i love to just sit back and listen to your stories and i've listened for years and you, the way you tell them the way you talk about history the way you can bridge everything together from state to state city to city league to league is like no one else can so i'm so thankful to be on the call and um i'm just I, I'm, I'm really a fan right now tony this is a a, a moment for me 
but I'm gonna let you keep going. <laughs> uh, it's a vote, but, but you know, Saudi, you you mentioned and referenced Indiana, and you know, it it's so true because you know, doing some research and looking at this, uh, you know, you you know more than I probably even researched, obviously, right? Uh, but you talk about you know one of four Pacers that have his jersey retired, you know, Roger Brown, Mel Daniels, and Reggie Miller um, being the other three, you know, w- w- being in that company of that quartet, so to speak, I mean, what it, what, what do you think that signifies? Well, it tells you about the great legacy of the state of Indiana. It tells you the legacy of Indiana from a professional basketball point of view, particularly with the fact that they won championships in the ABA and their and their franchise along with a few other franchises in the old ABA are part of what encouraged and forced the NBA to recognize the ABA and to come together and bring some of those franchises into the NBA and therefore gave opportunity to the lesser known because of the fact that they didn't have the publicity or the TV or the, uh, the news. The ABA was, uh, I would say for lack of a better word, hidden greatness. But I would say this, what we see in the NBA today is what George McGinnis, Julius Irving, I use those two names because they end up playing with the Philadelphia 76ers. That's what the ABA was all about and was the forerunner of what the NBA is doing today. Mr. Mr. Sonny, I'm young enough and I was just a kid when it was always George McGinnis for us and that, that one-handed shot that he had was just Yep. Nothing that anybody yep. had ever seen. And um, but when we signed Doc and we had them at the same time, if and you can correct me anywhere you want to, and I believe that's where the mantra came from Dr. J is we owe you one when we lost the championship there. Am I correct? Yeah. And and I always said, because my dad, he's no longer with us. And my dad was in a he just was a big George McGinnis fan. And when we did win the championship, that was the one thing my dad said was that that first one started this, and he always wished that George McGinnis could have been a part of that team. Uh, what is your thoughts on that? First, I would back up and, and, and refer to what I said in the beginning, how people related to him, and he related to people. Yes. So when you speak about it from your father's point of view and your family's point of view, because you guys were sitting around and listening along with your sister, uh, let's not forget this. Your sister was an outstanding basketball player. Yes, sir. Also grew up in my Sunny Hill League. And when I formed the first Sunny Hill women's basketball program in the city of Philadelphia. So when you speak about George McGinnis, often people begin to talk about him in terms of how great he was, that uniqueness of his style. Uh, for your listening audience, George McGinnis, body-wise, was LeBron James before LeBron James. Would you agree with that? Yes, sir. 100%. Okay. And also the skill level. Because George was not just this six foot eight, 
255-pound guy, George was an elegant athlete. He had a certain grace about him. He really didn't play what we refer to as a traditional big man's game. Although he was a physical player, he was also a very finesse player. He had great fluidity and gracefulness in terms of what he was able to do. And then, as you spoke about it, he had this unique shooting style. I'm a historian of the game of basketball. I go back to 1945-46 with Eddie Gottlieb and the Philadelphia Warriors when he first formed the NBA. So I've seen all the players from that point. George McGinnis' shooting style is one of the more unique that we've ever seen in basketball. When you think of that, right off the bat, I think of two other people's shooting style come to mind. Jamal Wilkes had a, a unique style, the way he shot, and Jack Sigma, and consistently Jack Sigma shot the ball so far the way he did as a big man. But you are so true when I, I tell people, if you love this game, you really got to go see George. He was, and, and even though you say about LeBron James, but if you really saw him, and it, he, he looked like Mike Tyson. <laughs> like his his arms, he was just so put together, man. And at that point in time, you got to remember, there's no social media. It's none of that. So to see a guy that big, that strong, moving the way he did, it was something that we'd never seen. And 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 he was very he was very special, uh, especially to Philadelphia, especially to uh, a lot of us that grew up on the playgrounds and and and, and the Sunny Hill Baker League. I would use the word gracefulness if you think about George McGinnis. How, how a big man of that size was so graceful, the way he ran, the way he played, his style was different. He had built this great reputation of being not only one of the greatest players out of the state of Indiana when he was in high school, but then matriculating to Indiana University for one year. His father had health problems. So he took the opportunity to jump to the Indiana Pacers in the ABA and went on to carve out one of the more unique basketball careers because when you combine his high school, staying in the state of Indiana for one year and playing at Indiana, then building his reputation, especially with the Indiana Pacers, one of the key reasons that the NBA wanted to uh, have the ABA become a part of the NBA because of Julius Irving, because of George McGinnis, because of David Thompson, because of some of those early players. And then to see him come into the NBA, particularly his first year. Don't forget when he came to the 76ers, the Sixers had just come off a 9-73 and worst record ever in basketball. And there was some legal things that was going on. Legality came in. George was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers, even though his class was after he was in the ABA, but his class didn't graduate until the four years. So he was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. They had no idea whether they would get him or not, but, you know, they drafted him. So when the merger came about, the New York Knicks tried to find a way to get involved and offer George a big-time contract. And then the, the legal people got involved, and then the commissioner finally uh, came down with a ruling, and the ruling was 
that the 76ers had the rights to George because of what I just explained. But George coming here at the most crucial time in the history of Philadelphia basketball, because you have to divide Philadelphia basketball in two team levels. There's the historical Philadelphia Warriors formed in 1945-46. Then the team was sold by Eddie Gottlieb, who founded the, the, the team, and also established the NBA with putting the schedule together out of his back pocket. I say back because he had no computers enough back then. And then for him to come in when we didn't feel that we had a good franchise now with the 76ers and put the team back on the map. Then the next year, the Sixers end up buying and acquiring Julius Irving's contract from the New Jersey team. And now we end up in Philadelphia, and we're all happy about it. We have two of the most primary players in the game, two of the most identified players in the game. Yes, sir. And two players who have a lot of mystique about them because they're now playing in the NBA and they're playing together. And the attendance went up. And I was just talking to World Be Free at the game last night because I said to him, he was on the team. There was a rivalry between George McGinnis, Julius Irving, Doug Collins, uh, and a few other players who were the starters. But Joe Bryant, Steve Mix, World Be Free, Daryl Dawkins, and some others, they felt that they were better than the guys who were starting. So that was a, a <laughs> inner rivalry and tension built up from that point of view. So when you came to the spectrum, this is one of the more enjoyable pregame warm-ups in the history of basketball came through the tunnel, fan base would begin to generate and you could feel the tension or the excitement. And they would come out and start dunking the basketball. And they would be dunking the basketball not only from dunking, but also because they were trying to collectively and individually show off their total skills. And it was a happening at that time. Hey, Mr. Sonny, come on now. You, you got to tell them, you got to tell them when they made that introduction, what was that voice? Who was that voice introducing them that made it so electrifying, though? Know? Something one of the great PA people of all time, Dave <laughs> Zinkoff. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, but see, you got, but, but see, it's easy to raise the question. But if you don't have the answer to it, it's just a question. Yes, Dave sir. Dave Zinkoff is a part of Eddie Gottlieb. So when Eddie Gottlieb who had a basketball team called the South Philadelphia Hebrew Association, nicknamed the Spas, before there was a league. There were teams that played throughout the country. Jewish basketball was very big back then. Not only did Jewish basketball have players, but they supported the game. And even though Naismith invented the game, the game is popularized by Jews. The fan base that most support basketball is Jews who buy the tickets and also own the team. So when we are talking about Dave Zinkoff, he was a part of Eddie Gottlieb's group that was a part of the Spars, who then became the Philadelphia Warriors. And Zinkoff was also a part of, and, and a lot of his uh, animation in terms of how he, he expressed himself. He would say, for example, dipper, dipper dunk, 
<laughs> two for shoe, those kind of things. He got because there was another Jewish component in that, the Globetrotters. Abe Saperstein was a Jew. Mr. Abe Saperstein, yes, sir. So now when you look at basketball, you now better understand what I'm saying in reference to paying respect to Jewish people who helped to popularize the game and to bring the game to where it is. Now, certainly in the last 50 years or so, blacks have gotten involved and we've been a part of the league and whatever it may be, but people tend to forget the foundation. And what happened in the old days it used to be at, at uh, Broad and Rape was a hotel there called the Broadwood, big-time hotel back then. And they would have a dance and a basketball game. They'd have the basketball game first, Jewish game, and then a dance. No, a dance would be after the game. That's how they promoted basketball through the entertainment aspect, which now brings you back to where Eddie Gottlieb got involved where Abe Saperstein created the Globetrotters, and now you understand why the NBA in this era, the NBA is what I've said to my good friend David Stern. And I said this to David when he thought about what he's doing and did with basketball. David Stern, being a Jewish person, understood what I'm talking about, promotions and entertainment and whatever. So he thought of the idea, and he created the idea, Turn the NBA into the Globetrotters. That's what the NBA is. Entertainment basketball. It's not a knock on it. That's why the attendance is where it's at. That's why the players are making the money. That's why we're having our conversation. That's why I'm an executive advisor to the Philadelphia 76ers for the last 29 years. It's not all the other things that I've done in basketball. But that was his idea. And it carried over into basketball. But if you look at the other sports, They've replicated it. Football, entertainment. Yes, sir. Baseball, entertainment. Yes, sir. So when you look at the other sports, not baseball by itself does not sell the same way, but it does sell when it's entertainment. Football is off the chart. I'm old enough to know when football, you couldn't get people to go to professional football games. (laughs) It was college football, Notre Dame and all them, you know, Army and Navy but because it turned into entertainment. How did it turn into entertainment? Because they recognized passing is more entertaining in football than running the football. If you look at the history of football, football is a game of running the football as opposed to passing the football. But I'm doing all that to give you and our radio listening audience a real understanding of how basketball has changed how George McGinnis had helped it, along with Julius Irving when they were here. But what happened with George and Julius is that they were such good friends from the ABA, and they didn't want to step on each other's toes. They never were able to play at their optimum together. So the 76ers ended up training George for Bob Jones, and that helped the Sixers to get to the championship and winning the championship. But George McGinnis got traded to Denver and went back to being George McGinnis. And he was playing at an NBA MVP level in Denver towards Achilles. At that time, you know what the history was. We are going global. And, and you're listening right now to the great Sonny Hill. Uh, you can listen to him. Obviously, you're listening right here on the Blue Coats, but always every Sunday on 94 WIP, Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern, the founder of the Sonny Hill League in Philadelphia. and. I created 
summer professional basketball in this country in 1960, the Baker League. They can talk about the Rucker League. They can talk about whatever it may be. We here in Philadelphia with John Cheney, the fellow by the name of Sonny Lloyd in South Philadelphia, with a fellow by the name of Hal Lear, L-E-A-R, from Temple University, Overbrook High School, and the partner of Guy Rogers, the greatest college basketball backcourt at Temple University of all time, along with Guy, had a team. And then in North Philadelphia, we had a guy by the name of Herb Janey, and he had a guy on his team by the name of T. Parham. And then I had my team, which was Sonny Hill and Ray Scott, along with a football player by the name of Johnny Sample. So we started that in 1960 and now it's built to where it is at the present time and people have no idea about the history you're 100 percent correct i mean i'll be honest with you i'm i'm 45 years old and i didn't know the history i'm gonna be honest with you i would be fully transparent that's why this is so special to me to hear what that history is and and you you've spoken about the youth and the influence of today's basketball so i just want to get your overall viewpoint of the power of influence the nba today is having on on our youth in the basketball game well it's it's power because of visibility it's power because the people that were involved and i use david stern as a great example who was a visionary it's powerful because of the fact that my jewish brethren have helped to build the foundation basketball wise team wise and economically of where the game is today it's going to get bigger yep don't forget the nba is a global product the reason it's a global product because and people don't understand this the basketball team that built global basketball is the Harlem Globetrotters. They are the ambassadors of basketball. When it wasn't popular to go into not only the deep south, but to begin to travel the world where people didn't really understand it and sell out stadiums and events. I mean, they, the Globetrotters have played before 100,000 people, but you don't hear that because those stories are not being told and carried over. So we end up with the latest is always the greatest, but the latest had to come from the greatest. This is so true. I'm a youth sports coach as well. And just seeing how, you know, these kids do not look back and they do. Do you think that's just a, a fragment of our times today? Or do you think, you know, we're, we're just people like ourselves aren't making them realize what the history of the game really is. It's the latter. If you don't tell the history and you carry yep. the history over, the history will fall by the wayside. We do more damage to the history simply because we don't tell the story about what we know. Now, everybody don't know what I know, but how about what we know? That's a great point. It's almost like when you hear the stories about the Baker League and the Sunny Hill League. Yep. And when I started the women's basketball program and my basketball camp that I had for over 30-some years, the first black in this country. I got John Cheney to be with me to have a, a a black basketball camp with the owners being black but the diversity of the people people don't know that and as i'm listening and i and i and, I, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm just as transparent as you tony because i love the game i truly do um and mr sunny like i said he was basketball for me growing up you know you didn't have as much tv and things of that nature so most of the guys that played in our in in, in our community you know if you was at the sunny hill game that's how you knew who it was there was no social media it was no way of knowing these guys so you had to go and only real 
level of basketball on a pro level was the Sunny Hill Baker League. It, it really was. So you heard about these guys. You might have seen them in the Daily News or the Inquirer or the News Journal or, or, the, or the Tribune. But to physically go see them, you had to go to the Sunny Hill League. And that line was almost around the corner sometimes for you to get in the game. If there was a seat available at certain events that Mr. Sunny had back then when he used to bring the NBA players and things of that nature. So I am, I consider myself one of the people that want to truly keep the history going. I'm thankful that I am the ambassador. But you know what, Tony? As I'm sitting here reflecting, I actually played in the Baker League, right? Now that I work for the Philadelphia 76ers, yep. I toured with the world famous Harlem Globetrotters. So I've come full. I, this and, and now I'm standing here with you on this call with Mr. Sonny. And it's like I've come full circle. And it is because he's he really put a spark in me through my brother Big Mike, who was always at a, a lot of his events and, and initiatives and camps. But I got to see that through my brother. And that's how Mr. Sonny impacted my life. And he made me want to be where I'm at. And I'm thankful that I am where I'm at. And I'm thankful that he's all like a mentor to me. And 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 I, I can't say anymore. I, I just love it. I'm so thankful to be on this call. And like you, I'm taking notes and 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 and, and this is just phenomenal. Thank you, Mr. Sonny. Well, if you don't inform people about the history, they won't know. And that's what the present situation is all about. They don't want you to know what we're talking about. They want to make you believe that all this just happened. Yeah. Don't forget, when they're talking about it's just happening, they're looking at it from a financial point of view. Yep. What happened when the guys were growing up and the girls in my league, everything was free. The only thing they had to do was to show up and conduct themselves accordingly because if they didn't do that, they couldn't play in the league. It wasn't about your basketball. Your basketball got you in. But it's the way that you comported yourself. If you didn't comport yourself in the manner of how we were raised back in the day, and I was born in 1936, you didn't know how to say please and thank you and be appreciative. And don't forget one of the things we used to do in the league, particularly in the Sunny Hill League, is if you didn't have your basketball trunks up, your shirt was hanging out. You would find me out on the court following you up the court and everybody getting away. Oh, uh, you better, you better get your shirt inside your trunks. You said, well, that, that's just small, Mr. Sun. No, if you let one thing out of condition, out of control, or one thing is not what it's all about, then the one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. Before you know it, then it's, that's not what we need. And you're from South Philadelphia. Remember this. When the guys came from the different areas of the city of Philadelphia to play at McGonagall Hall, Temple University, they would be stopped by the gangs or the guys on the corners or whatever it may be. They would say, where are you going? You answer that. What, what, what did you say to them? I'm going to McGonagall. We're going to the Sunny Hill they, thing. And what did they say to you? What they and say you, to would, you Sometimes they would say, go ahead, or sometimes they would just give you a pass. You know what the word was? You can walk because that's how much respect the community, what we were doing. So, see, I never raised the basketball players. I raised young people. So I'm more interested in reference to your journey from the time that we're involved with you until you have moved on. The fact that when I come across the individuals that are now 50 years old or 60 years old and maybe a little, little older, first thing we talk about is life after basketball. You remember that? Life after basketball. We had educational program. Mr. Bill Joyner, 
If you didn't go to if you didn't go to tutoring, you didn't play. If you didn't do the things that we required you to do, we had people coming in for career awareness. This is way back in the day, talking to our young people about careers and aspirations, particularly our black youngsters who didn't have the same opportunities then as we now have to some degree, but it was for everybody. And then the interaction between those who lived in the city, those who lived outside the area, those who were white, those who were black, different uh, religious backgrounds and whatever, how they bonded and became one. That's what we were all about. That's what we were doing way ahead of time. It's so powerful. And, and the reason why I love, you know, what you said there, Mr. Hill, is, you know, as a coach myself, I, I, I'm, I'm so invested in the kids and what their afterlife is as far as you know when they get to 17 18 and they're in high school and i'm i'm going to the stadium and i'm watching their games and i'm i'm trying to find out what are you doing as far as employment where are you going and it, it, it's it's such a rewarding thing and i think i tell people that all the time if you can get involved you know be involved coach you know give back to the community me and coach show talk about it all the time community is such a powerful world nowadays we we have the power right to lead these young men and young women to you know to a place where we wish we were at right and and i think that's that's so powerful what you've been saying tony you know you always hear this saying do you rather be feared or respected well, Mr. Sonny never preached either one of those. Mr. Sonny never asked for any one of those. Mr. Sonny never forced any of that down. But in the street, in the street, we talking like we said 20 years ago, no social, 20, 30 years, no one another stuff. And the gangs out there, those were two things that was in the community. You are, Even if you had a beef with somebody at the game, they would tell you, you had to get like 10 blocks away because they didn't want Mr. Sonny to find out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was well, it was me, like me, the fear and the respect. Like you didn't do certain things because if it got because he knew so many people. So if it got back to him and people knew you was in his program, it was he he's true. He's right. It was a rap. You was not playing, you wasn't allowed. And 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 that was that was that was big for us coming up because he was the he was the one that. He was like, um, what is it, Switzerland? Like everything was neutral with Mr. Sonny. You couldn't do anything but the right thing if you was going to be a part of anything that he had. I just had to say that. Well, Joe, let me just jump on that one because there's always stories with me. So whether I'm in the conversation with you guys or in the conversation with somebody else on a national level, international level, whatever, it's always stories. It's interesting that you raise that point. And, and you may remember this. There was an occasion at McGonagall Hall where the South Philadelphia team was playing and something broke out. And some guys in South Philadelphia jumped out of the upper stands and came down on the floor and whatever. And I finally got them out of there, whatever it may be. And I sent a message to the South Philadelphia crew. If those individuals, I'm talking about the ones who did what they did, if they don't come back and stand at McGonagall Hall's basketball court where Temple University played, and apologize, there would be no more leaves. Yes, that's a true story. If they didn't come true back, story. nobody could come back was the word out. They came back, and I'm getting the chill when I say because I respect them so much. They stood at, stood at mid-court and apologized, and I embraced them, gave them a hug and whatever it may be. That's how much they valued what we had. It wasn't about me. It was about us. 
wasn't about basketball. It was about something positive. It was doing something over these many, 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 many decades. But to have the people buy into it. And don't forget, my philosophy has always been the same. I'm not trying to raise the next great basketball player. I'm trying to raise the next great human being. Makes me feel good when I see you, Joe, where you are now. I don't, when, I, when, I, when they ask me to speak at the event, I take every opportunity to put a shine on you because you are an extension of me. But let them know where you've gotten yours from and how you were able to be where you are now. And I'm thankful. Wish I was in, in with Coach Joe back in the day, man. Like, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm in awe right now. I, you know, and again, this is from me, you know, being the host here and, and listening to Sunny Hill every Sunday morning. Like, I, like when I, I worked shift work back in the day, there was two people I listened to on the radio. It was Big Daddy Graham at night, and I, and I listened to Sunny mm -hmm. Hill in the morning. And it's because that's where I got the most mentorship. That's where I got the most leadership. And, and I wanted to hear stories. I didn't want to just hear, Sonny, you said the latest is the greatest, and I hated that all. I wanted the I wanted the historic part of the conversation. That's what you always gave us. Well, unfortunately, we don't do ourselves justice because we don't bring enough history to the forefront. We tend to always gravitate to the latest is the greatest. Yep. Well, the latest can't be the greatest if you didn't have the early part to build the latest, the groundwork, the later foundation. We're talking about basketball. You rarely ever hear Eddie Gottlieb's name mentioned. But for me, it's on a regular basis because Eddie Gottlieb, the mogul, which was his nickname, embraced me. How would you like to be a black person in the early 50s 52, 53, and we used to play on a team called Spikes Trophies. I used to play the preliminary game to the Philadelphia Warriors basketball game at Convention Hall when Eddie Gottlieb's crew, the guys around him, all embraced me, and I became a part of them and now it's my responsibility to let people know how they reached out to me. They reached out to me at a time when black and white didn't mix. I was an early black person who white Jewish people saw something in me that attracted them to me and allowed me to be able to go through doors that blacks didn't go through playing basketball. So when I'm telling the history, I want to make sure that people understand what the history is all about, how I've been fortunate to be able to be here to tell the story, tell the story about the early Blacks who broke the color line. There's a team called the Harlem Renaissance. All Black team. Coach John Wooden said this to me, the great coach from UCLA, who was one of my father figures. Notice the terminology. One of my father figures. Coach John Wooden and I 
came in contact when we built the McDonald High School All-America game about 44, about 44 years ago. But Coach Wooden told me this story. Remember, Coach Wooden is in the Naismith Hall of Fame as a player, as a coach. He said, Sonny, greatest team he's ever seen in basketball was the Harlem Renaissance. All-black team, half of them, four of them out of Philadelphia, four of them out of, out, of, out of New York. And they were playing against white teams in the South where everything was against them, but that's how good they were. Wow, that, that, I'll tell you what, yeah, that's, that's something I obviously did not know. And I, I literally – Not, not, not no, many ahead, people Michelle. know it. They don't, they don't know it because they haven't built a relationship. Yep. I'm fortunate to be able to say, yes, I'm taken under wing by my Jewish brethren. I'm also raised by a coach, John Wooden, a Morgan Wooten from the Massa High School, which is the number one producer of high school talent back in the day on a consistent basis. The black individuals who opened up doors half of them from Philadelphia, half from New York. Those individuals I had a chance to interact with, they embraced me. They informed me. They encouraged me because they saw me play. So that's what the journey is all about. And Coach Joe, you know, before we 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 end this and, and get out of here, what, what I'd love to hear your, your perspectives and your final thoughts for uh, Mr. Sonny, obviously, for joining us here on the Blue Coats beat. Well, Tony, I want to say this. This is, I was so looking forward to this um, when it was first presented. Um, I've known Mr. Sonny for forever. And, you know, like growing up, whether you was playing basketball, baseball, football, you always used to emulate and say, oh, I'm this person. I'm, I'm like Doc. Or, hey, I'm Montana. Oh, I'm this. And I knew where my life was. And I watched Mr. Sonny from a distance do what he did. A lot of some of the things I was a part of that the Baker League, I played for Kaufman Sports, I played for Ben Shoes. Um, but I always tell people, even the people that's with me right now, that I always said, if I ever get in an opportunity, that's who I wanted to be like in basketball. Because Mr. Sonny, he was our superstar. I mean, and I, I'm going to say this, and I, I know he go. I know I wish I could see his face because he's going to laugh. You know, Mr. Sonny always was in shape. <laughs> still is. Can't say that. Can't say that like it's about the rest of us. <laughs> but Mr. Sonny is still like he looks like he was when he was in his 30s. Like Mr. Sonny was always in shape. You always seen him. He always looked good. And I always wanted to be like that. And as I got older and I got more into this, I always would run across him and see him. And he would see me and say, hey, what you going to do? I said, Mr. Sonny, I'm going to so-and-so. He'll be like, well, tell so-and-so you know Sonny Hill. Like, he would always say that to me. Like, if I was going to a different state or he knew I was going somewhere, he always had a name for me to carry and say, hey, if you see so-and-so, you tell him you, you, you with me in that. To me, I think that's his biggest legacy because guess what? There's another 100 Joe Richmonds that got the same story about Sonny Hill. Like, for us, it, we don't know where we would be. We don't know if we would have got going anywhere else. We probably would have got shot or killed 
if not knowing that that Sunny Hill name is what made everything a truce, what made everything uh, okay. And for me, I think that's going to be his biggest legacy that he's raised so many people that he don't even know. I've never heard Mr. Sonny claim any basketball player. He's always claimed the person. He's always claimed the person. And you know, and you know, in this era of AAU, there's always my kid, my kid, my, oh, my yeah. kid. Oh, oh yeah. everybody swore they raised them. And this this man, this legend, whatever word you want to attach to him, I can say with, with the utmost respect that I love him. I wouldn't be who I am without him. I say his name with reverence. I say his name with so much adulation. I, I just, everything about him, I love. I used to love to watch him when he used to be on TV. He would change clothes in between. Like, Sonny was just different, man. He was just so unique in every sense of the word. And I want to say it publicly to those that are listening. Mr. Sonny, I love you. I thank you for all that you did and some things you didn't get credit for because you just never put it out there. But I've been places and I've seen you honored and you've always been, they've always been well-earned, well-deserved and many, many more, Mr. Sonny. Thank you for uh, joining the Blue Coat Beat today. Thank you. Let me, uh, let me just spend a few moments closing off. Sure. Because we talk about things that I've done but rarely do I get the opportunity to let people know that I was a first-class and then some basketball player. And, and one of the ways that I can make people kind of perk up a little bit, I can always mention Wilt's name, because Wilt and I grew up together. We were born the same year. We're one month different. If Wilt were alive today, he'd be 87 as I am. But Wilt and I grew up off the back of those before us, the players who we looked up to, and to be able to use that as our background and our foundation. Not only was I an outstanding player in high school, I talked about being on Spikes Trophies at Northeast High School where I went to school, but also I ended up going to college Central State College in Wilberforce, Ohio. I ended up in the, in, the, in the Eastern Professional Basketball League in 1958. Played there for 10 years with Allentown and Sunbury and Wilkesbury and Hazleton and uh, Williamsport and all those teams up in that area. Being up to New York and being able to play in different tournaments one of them is in the city of Philadelphia. I don't know when you came through. Was there still a, a, a gold medal basketball tournament when you came through? Not, 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 no, not for me, no, sir. Okay, well, what happened was back in the day, the tournament called the gold medal basketball tournament, and the best of the players, independent players, college players, you couldn't be professional for all of these players, and. Blacks were just beginning to get the opportunity to be more visible on these teams. I played for a guy by the name of Bob Custer, loving the death. I was the only black guy on the team. And, and the gold medal basketball tournament, among other tournaments that I played in or other leagues, I want you to keep in mind the number 55. I've scored 55 points 
on six or seven different occasions in different tournaments and different leagues. I retired at the age of 55. I planned on retiring at the age of 55. And 55 is a very identifiable number in terms of my basketball career, my working career at Teams Local 169, where I worked for 34 years, retired at 55. And using that as a backdrop to encourage the young people that I came in contact with. Joe can speak to this. I was at every game, Baker League, the Sunny Hill League, the three different divisions we had, the Future League, the High School League, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and the College League. You can never say, nobody, I approached a number of people about this. I said, do you ever remember coming to uh, the Baker League game or the Sunny Hill League and you didn't see me? Or when, I, when you came to the games, I was always dressed to the nine. And they didn't understand it. Facts. I was coming right from work, right to Temple's McGonagall Hall, or the place that we played before that, five days a week. And when I started the Sunny Hill College League, six days on Saturday, always there. They can, nobody can ever remember a time that they came to a league game and they didn't see me. So what I'm saying, I was committed to what was given to me by my older people who helped to raise me to do what we were doing and to have the conversation that we're having now from A to Z in basketball, but more important in life. That is deep, powerful, passionate. I know uh, Coach Joe mentioned uh, some fantastic words. Obviously, I don't know you like Coach Joe does. I know the personality, but now I feel like I know the person. And and I will say, you know, one word, you know, I, I will say iconic. You know, I, I've literally have listened and interviewed a ton of fantastic people over my career. And this was literally the most heartfelt, passionate, historical, informational, educational, uh, you know, interview I've ever been able to be a part of. So I, before we even go, Mr. Hill, I just want to thank you. Number one, for allowing me to listen to you on a Sunday mornings as I was growing up as a teenager, as I was growing up in my twenties and thirties and being able to pass some of that knowledge onto my youth as well that I coach. In 2024, I will have been in broadcasting for 55 years. Wow. Come on. Wow. 55 years. There's that number, 55. Wow. There you go. So you picked up on it. Yes, I did. That's that number. You stuck to that 55. Yep. I love it. 2024. I'll be in broadcasting for 55 years, 37 at WIP in Philadelphia. But don't forget, I was one of the first blacks to break the color line Yes. in terms of being on CBS TV, 71, 72 to 77, four years, and bringing you the basketball, the background, the things that I'm talking about with you are things that I would be able to talk about at CBS prior to the game, halftime of the game, after the game. And when we had the double hitters, I was the analyst. 
And when we did the uh, college championships in New York, you see uh, the, uh, the invitational tournament, national invitational tournament and things like that. Yep. I was the analyst. So my background is so diverse. But it's the opportunities were afforded me that luckily I was prepared to deal with because of the people that I had come in contact with and had entered my life, entered into my life, allowed doors to open so that I could represent us, primarily black folks, because black folks weren't getting that opportunity then, but primarily us in terms of the information, the relationships, the interaction, the people that I knew on a personal basis, and we would interact and have that conversation so that the people who were listening, radio, TV, whatever, they would have a better perspective of what we were talking about. I, I love it. I, I really do. I mean, it's, it's like I said, that the diversity and the educational background has been second and none. And, and, and for me, from myself, from coach Joe, from the, the blue coach beat from the entire Delaware blue coach organization. Um, I just want to number one, thank you. And, and number two, wish you nothing but the best as far as the holiday season and health going into 2024. Mr. Hill. Thank you both.